Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. So we are, just stay with me because we're in our week two of series of how to rewild a tamed faith that we started last week in the 10am service. It's the same title today as Daz's message this morning and the same opening story. So either if you're listening on the podcast at a later date or um, you were here this morning, stay with me. I'll just take two minutes of your time, then we'll take a sharp left turn and go in a completely different direction. So... Uh, There was a woman, uh, there is a woman actually, called Miriam Lancewood. I think she is from Norway and um, and she married a much older um, New Zealand man. And she went to visit his family in New Zealand and her husband's brother is a farmer in New Zealand. And uh, they were talking about like the end of days. They're not, I'm pretty sure they're not Christians. So whatever your, you know, whatever concept of end of days was all the way from zombie apocalypse to the Y2K bug finally catching up and crashing everything and making us unable and tribulation, whatever. They were talking about the end of days. And, and the brother said, you know what, I'll, we'll be fine. We'll let everyone in who can add value to the community that we'll create here. Then we'll blow the bridge and not let anyone else across because into their property there was only one way across a bridge. And, um, and Miriam Lancewood thought to herself, I'm teacher trained. No one's going to be caring about education in the end of days. And I have no other skill. I'm not going to be let in. And so she talked to her husband and she said, what if we lived off the grid? What if we lived in the wild for a year just to see if we could do it? What if we took nothing but seeds, a bow and arrow, bows, no, bow and arrows, hopefully, otherwise that would be a lot of work, and, um, and, and, and some seeds and some books. We'll just take that. We'll go into the South Island mountains of New Zealand and we'll see how we go. So a one-year experiment led to eight years living in the wild. Um, I think she eventually got a gun, but... Um, just for target practice, all you animal lovers, it was just to like shoot at cans and stuff. But um, but she, you know, she had to leave everything that she knew behind and go and learn how to hunt game, learn how to gather, learn how to plant and to cultivate, and um, and and that's what they did. Listen to this scripture from Romans chapter twelve, verse one to two. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. In order for Miriam Lancewood and her husband, Peter or David, I can never remember which is the brother and which is the husband. Yeah, it's not really relevant. (laughs) sorry sometimes things go on in my head at a rapid pace and I'm laughing at a really funny joke that happened but it's going to take too long to catch you all up so I just moved through um so um so she in order for her to move out she had to let go of a whole heap of stuff including every way she'd been inculcated every way she'd taken on society's traits and expectations of her and go and live off the grid completely And in order for us to go off the grid of what society dictates to us and wants for us, we need to become no longer conformist to culture, but actually non-conformist and actually the transformed becoming the transformists, not to be mistaken with transformers, more than meets the eye. Transformers 
robots in disguise, no transformers. And so we're looking tonight at how to rewild a tamed faith, part two, going off the grid. One more scripture. Dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide, open, spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallest smallness you feel comes from within you. Tell us what you really think, Paul. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Could have fooled us, but okay. Open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. Let's pray. Lord, that's the way we want to live. We want to live openly and expansively. Lord, we don't want to live in the confines and constrictions that society would put around us. We don't want to have our faith in a box, Lord. We want to get out of the box, Lord, and we want to live in an open and expansive way that transforms not only us, but the world around us, Lord. We ask that You would have Your perfect way in us today. Let us not leave the same. Let us live, Lord, with eyes on a wide, open, expansive horizon with everything that You want for us. In the Name of Jesus, Amen. Amen. So in order for this to take place, we need to be completely committed to the transformative renewal because there's a gravitational pull towards what society expects and what culture dictates. And we need to stay with the process. You see, Miriam Lancewood had to let go of everything that she knew in order to enter the wild, in order to cultivate a new life. And so tonight, this afternoon, I'm going to give you five things to let go of and three things to cultivate in order to enter a rewilded faith and go off the grid. But first, a song. Look them out, get them gone, all the little bunnies in the fields of corn, envy, jealousy, malice and pride. These must never in the heart abide. You're welcome. You are very, very welcome. And uh, so... Okay, that's the first four, all right? Now, I searched in vain to find the origin of this song this week. It's a Sunday school song. I even thought, well, perhaps they're all in Scripture, but even if they are all together, there's about four other things that aren't listed in the song as bunnies that are in the fields of corn. Um, but I, I figure that perhaps the Sunday school song writer wrote these, Envy, Jealousy, Malice and Pride, because he, picked the, he or she picked the things that a kindergartner could relate to and perhaps thought that sexual immorality and debauchery might not be as much of a problem that is also in the list of those things. So if they were willing to start with the fundamentals, I figure that they're probably the things we should let go of first in order to live this wide open spacious life. And it's like the Song of Songs sends it in chapter 2 verse 15. It says, catch for us the little foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. This is a scripture about a relationship and saying this beautiful big relationship that you're living, it's the little things that are ruin that thing. And it's the same with our faith. It's the little things that will creep in and tame our faith without us looking. They're so typical in culture. They're so such societal norms that we don't actually see them or recognise them. And then they come in and sneak in and all of a sudden we're living a tamed faith and that's not the way that God wants us to live. So firstly, envy, jealousy, are they the same thing? Well, psychologists say no. They say that envy is where you've got an attribute that I desire. You've got, you've got something that I want. You've got something that I don't have. I want blonde hair like Linnea. I want blonde hair like Brodie. <laughs> I, want, um, I want luscious locks like Brodie. I, I, want, I want Mikey's money. 
um, I want Frank's wisdom. There's a desired attribute that these people have and I don't have it and so I'm envious of them. And jealousy is where I feel threatened that you're going to take something that I do have. That's the difference. So envy is a reaction to what I don't have that you do have. And jealousy is where I feel threatened that something I have already will be taken uh, by a third party or maybe by a third thing. For example, um, you spend too much time at work, okay, and I feel like our friendship isn't what it used to be. And so now all of a sudden I'm jealous of your work and, and, and I wish you didn't work so hard. And you should just, like, put your feet up and don't work anymore, <laughs> okay? That might be a word. Um, <laughs> so, so it doesn't necessarily need to be a person. Um, you know, if it's video games, you're spending all your time on the video games rather than me, then I'm jealous of the video games. So Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30, if we're going to get rid of these things, listen to this scripture of how important it is. Proverbs 14, 30 says, A heart at peace gives life to the body. But envy rots the bones. See, envy is a cancer that will sap your strength and divert your attention from what you do have and direct all your strength and attention to fixate on what you don't have. And it will sap what you do have and direct it into something that you don't have. It will, it, just like a cancer, seeps out of the, the strength out of your bones and into something malignant. That's what envy does as well. Jesus talks about envy in terms of covetous living where you want something that someone else has. James talks about jealousy and uh, jealousy in the Greek is an onomatopoeic word. So onomatopoeia is when it sounds like what it is. So for example, when you say drip drop for rain, when you say woof woof, that was good wasn't it, uh, for dogs, uh, for, for a dog barking, the word is the, making the sound that the thing would make. Well jealousy is in the Greek zealous. Zealous, zealous, zealous. And it's meant to imitate the bubbling of applying heat underwater. That's something that's bubbling up inside of you. Zealous, zealous, zealous. And we know zealous is a good word, but when it's applied to jealousy, it's a negative connotation of a reaction that you actually can't control and it just bubbles up inside of you. It, it's much like this that we see in 1 Samuel chapter 18 from verse 6 where it says, when, in, when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing with joyful songs and with tambourines and lutes. Jay, if you could bring a lute next week, that would be very much appreciated. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain, the chorus, they were singing, galled him. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. And that's what jealousy will do, zealous, zealous. It bubbles up inside of you until you've always got one eye distracted on the thing that is creating jealousy in you. You can be having a really great time and a great life over here, but always out the corner of your eye, you're checking on what's over there and looking at what's over there. As the story goes on in chapter 19, verse 4, it says that Jonathan, who is Saul's son, spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you. And what has he done? And what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel and you saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? Saul listened to Jonathan and took this oath. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. 
So Jonathan called David and told him the whole conversation. He brought him to Saul and David was with Saul as before in the courts. Once more war, war broke out and David went out and fought the Philistine. He struck them, Philistines, sorry. He struck them with such force that they fled before him. But an evil spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he was sitting in his house with his spear in his hand. While David was playing the harp, Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear, but David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night, David made good good his escape. Now I'm not sure about all the theological ramifications around the evil spirit being sent to Saul or even if this writer was just describing a a circumstance in which Saul had no reaction over himself and if you've ever suffered with jealousy you'll know that that bubbling up inside you can spill over with no reaction as much as you try to put a lid on that thing it just comes up out of you zealous 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 you don't want a spear handy when that feeling starts to rise. I'm not speaking from experience, but I'm just saying, um, (laughs) zealous, 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 zealous bubbles up inside of you. No control, no control. Well, if we're going to go off the grid, these are typical emotions in the world that we live in. And we've got to leave them behind if we're truly going to live off grid. Envy, jealousy, malice. Titus chapter 3 verse 3 says, At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. What is malice? Malice is that sneaky little feeling that comes when someone that you're not that fond of doesn't do too well and you actually rejoice over it. Oh, you didn't get the promotion. I was praying for that. Oh, Oh, your kid isn't the goody two-shoes that you told us they were. Oh, that's sad. That yucky, ugly feeling, and by the way that everyone is looking at me, that you all are very good at covering up your emotions, where you actually just rejoice a little bit at someone's misfortune. Yuck. Envy, jealousy, malice, and pride. Well, pride's in the whole Bible. It's in Genesis and it's in Revelations. It's in every history book about the kings that lived. It's in every wisdom writing about avoiding jealousy. It's, it's everywhere. It's in the New Testament. It's in the early church. Pride is our story as humanity. But Proverbs chapter 16 verse 18 says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Look them out. Get them gone. All the little bunnies in the fields of corn. Envy, jealousy, Malice and pride. And I've just got one more that we can't afford to take with us if we're going to go off grid. And that's a record of wrongs. A record of wrongs. When, when you hear yourself saying, they always, or they never, just, just note that you're keeping a record of wrongs there. You've got a record of wrongs and you can rehearse the the way in which they've hurt you. You can rehearse the impact that they've had on you. But but the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, it says about love, it doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. And if you want to go off the grid, you need to rip up the list as you head into 2021. If you're going to go off the grid and, and rewild this tamed life that you've encountered, then, then you need to rip up the list and decide that, no, there's no more you always or you never. I don't keep a record of wrongs. That happened yesterday and so today is a new day. So if that's, that's, that's great to leave all those things behind. But um, that would almost be like a real, you're like, thanks, Bron. Uh, that's a lot of don'ts and I'll try not to. But the fact is that we can't, actually move forward unless we have an action plan to move forward sure we can leave them all behind but if we learn anything from Jesus story about that 
demon-possessed man who the demon gets sent out and, and he's got this spick and span house, but then the demon goes and gets all his friends and brings them all back to have a party because the house is empty. What we know is that we actually need to replace these things with something to overcome them. So envy. The, the counter for envy is to make peace. Make peace with what you have and make peace with who you are. Make peace. We read in that scripture about envy in Titus 3, 3, no, sorry, in Proverbs, it says, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Where are you not at peace with who you are and what you have? Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 says, Not that I was ever in need, Paul speaking, for I have learned to be content with what I have. What I love the most about that scripture is, I have learned. It didn't happen overnight. But it did happen. He had learned to be content. Verse 12, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And the only way you can learn that is sometimes to be in want and sometimes to be in plenty or sometimes to be well-fed or sometimes to be hungry and be in every and any situation. That's the only way you can learn to be content in those situations. The next verse is the only way. That's the secret. I have learned the secret. The secret is I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength, is verse 13 of that passage. So make peace. If you were to sit here right now and go, where am I not at peace with who I am and with what I have? What's the first thing that springs to mind? Jealousy. Zealous, 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 bubbling up underneath the surface. You know, jealousy leads to fear. And fear then leads to control. Jealousy is I have what I have, but I'm worried that I'm going to lose it. So now I fear. So now I try and control that situation to dispel the fear. It's been said that fear says I can make you safe. Because then fear jumps into control. But love says I am safe. I am safe. You are safe. Now I'm not going to go all new agey on you this afternoon. So don't worry, but I do want you to close your eyes. And say, mm, just kidding, just close your eyes, just close your eyes. <laughs> um, this is, you know, scriptural to meditate on truth. I'd love it if you could take a big, deep breath in. And just in your mind, not out loud, as you exhale, just say in your mind, I am safe. Let's do it again. I am safe. Let me read you a scripture from Jude, verse 24. It says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. He is able to keep you. He is able to present you and he's doing it with great joy. You are safe. You don't need to control anything. You are safe. There are people in this room that are encountering circumstances that you never, ever thought you would go through. And you're still here. And God's still keeping you. And you're still okay. You're going to make it. You are safe. And finally, reclaim the space. Miriam Lancewood says that the biggest thing when she was in a conversation with Richard Feidler, that the biggest difficulty that she had was the disorientation of the first two weeks with no phone, with no social media, with no TV, nothing to fill the space. And she just felt all this empty space and and she said that she and her husband just felt completely disorientated and didn't know what to do with it. But then gradually 
they began to reclaim the space. And in order for us, we need to make peace, make peace with who we are and what we have. We need to recognise that I am safe and we need to reclaim the space. Reclaim the space. I'm going to read you this scripture. And uh, I'd love it if you could just pick something that stands out to you this afternoon. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting at verse 4. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude. It does not dishonour others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always perseveres. Reclaim the space. If we were to allow love to reclaim the space of our envy, jealousy, malice and pride and record of wrongs, which one of these things could you focus on today? Love is patient. Anyone nailed patience? Everyone just like the most patient person that you've ever met? Anyone? No. Okay, you could start there. Love is kind. Do you find that your intention is to be kind, but your words are not always kind? Maybe you could start there. It does not envy. That's good. It does not boast because it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. Maybe you could start there. Maybe you're someone who's always talking smack about other people. How about you start there and stop doing that? Don't dishonor other people anymore. It is not self-seeking because it knows it's safe. You don't need to be self-seeking if you know that you're safe. Insecurity is just the, the flip side of pride where you're just focusing on yourself too much. Insecurities. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. It rips up the list. Love does not delight in evil because it's not malicious, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects are you someone with your words, are you someone who always protects? So you're like, look, we don't know that. We don't know that that's fact. Let's stop talking like that. Or that's unhelpful even if it is true. Let's stop speaking that out. It always protects. It always trusts. I'm going to believe the best about that person. It always perseveres. It hangs in there. It's long-suffering. Which one of those could you grab a hold of and reclaim the space with this afternoon? David Attenborough, who is 93 years old. David went and visited Chernobyl, where there was an atom- a, a, sorry, a nuclear power plant um, explosion in 1986. And, he, and, and the whole city, 50,000 people had to just evacuate, just leave the place immediately. Uh, let's just have a look at when he visits again um, in this clip. The truth is, with or without us, the natural world will rebuild. In the 30 years since the evacuation of Chernobyl, the wild has reclaimed the space. Today, the forest has taken over the city. It's a sanctuary for wild animals that are very rare elsewhere. And powerful evidence that however grave our mistakes, nature will ultimately overcome them. 
however grave your mistakes, how much more that the creator of nature will overcome them. Reclaiming the space. You see, what happened there was that everyone left and the place would have felt deathly still and quiet and it would have felt like everything got smaller for a while. But then just gradually the wild began to reclaim the space. And I tell you that if you step outside a tamed faith, if you let go of these things to go off the grid of culture and society, it'll feel like everything gets a little bit smaller and deathly quiet for a while. But just gradually the wild will reclaim the space and and the wide expansive life that Paul talks about in Corinthians begins to open up inside of you because the smallest that you experience isn't put on you. It's, It's what comes from the way that we think and the way that we feel. But if we'll just let those small things go and allow the wild to reclaim the space, then our lives will begin to be lived expansively and openly. So... Jude 24, now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. (gasps) What? All glory to him who alone is God, our Saviour through Jesus Christ, our Lord. All glory, majesty, power and authority are his before all time and in the present and beyond all time. Amen. He's the God who's reclaiming the space in your life and is able to present you to our Father without blemish and without fault. You thought it wasn't possible, but he says it's happening and he says it's happening with great joy in Jesus' name. He's a good God. I'm going to pray for you. Lord, we stand at the threshold of a new year. We're still in that space where the new year doesn't even really feel like it started, where we're still writing accidentally 2020. So Lord, I pray that before before we get used to writing 2021, Lord, Lord, that you would cause in us this passion that the zealous, zealous, zealous that's bubbling over there would be rerouted into a desire for a wild, open, expansive life lived in you, Lord Jesus. Almighty God, that we wouldn't, we wouldn't be restricted by the systems and the structures that we're subscribed to, but God, we would allow the organic to push through the organised and to crack open the shell of everything, Lord, that we've put around our faith. Lord, it's our desire, it's our heart. I pray for every single person here. Lord, and every single person that might listen later, Lord, that what bubbles away in them would be a zeal for your house and who you are. And Lord, a wild, untamed, expansive life in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey again. Thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.